Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast Who Am I, where we talk about personal identity, the many aspects of it, how to identify it, how to find it, how to describe it. Our homepage is whoamipodcast.com. I'm happy to be discussing on this topic with a friend of mine today, a new guest on the show. Uh, we enjoy philosophizing together and since he wants to remain anonymous, I will just call him Mr. INTP on the homepage. Enjoy. I have a list of your suggested topics here and there are too many for one episode. So if you right. like, you can come back. <laughs> so like, to me, these are very important when we talk about identity and it's for me personally kind of important to go in order too. But of course, every topic is like a whole podcast in itself. It's really, really big. It's, it's crazy. So yeah. do you want me to start or? Let, let me just um, name the six uh, head, head, uh, subparts. Yeah. 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 Just the six parts, just to let my audience know what the kinds of things you're interested in. Epistemology, mind altering drugs, identity, morality, goals and purpose, and transhumanism. Is transhumanism where humans and machines merge? Like in the Matrix? Yeah, not necessarily, but like the far future. Yeah. What happens to humans, right? Yeah, uh, we had two episodes on science fiction before because what was science fiction 50 years ago is becoming reality. So in a way, it's, it's just uh, preparing us for what is coming up. Right. In a way it is, but in another way it isn't. Like in the 50s, I think, everyone thought we would be flying around in personal zeppelins and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, but ev everything has to be thought of first. Everything is an idea before it becomes a reality. Right. So, um, you're right, it's a good place to start with um, identity, personal identity, or maybe social, cultural identity. Um, I'm open for anything like that, because that's the main topic of the entire podcast. Right. That's also the reason why I was got really excited when I looked into your podcast, okay. because it's, it's very rare that I um, find people that are really interested in this. They often see it as unnecessary and like too out there to even yeah. think about this. Well, as part of the, the trainings that I'm taking right now to become an entrepreneur, I'm not just trying to understand human psychology in general, but trying to understand who I am. And it seems like um, there is no end to the rabbit hole. It's just, uh, I, I like to say humans are infinitely complex and that's not a negative thing. Like it's impossible to understand anyone. It just means to me that no matter how much I learn about myself and others, I'm never finished learning. Um, and the more I learn about, myself, um, my nature, um, the, the parts of me, that, the, the reasons I do, the things I do, the more I understand those things, the more I feel comfortable with who I am and understand my place in society, um, in my body, in I don't know, my family, my country, things like that. You know, all the systems that we're just placed into without even understanding what they are. And so um, automatically, I understand other people as well. So is that the direction you go in when you think about this topic? Absolutely, absolutely. Like uh, at first I begin with, before I can think about um, what my identity is, I have to think about what's real and what's not. That's why I started with epistemology. Mm -hmm. And right, all the topics, all the things you um, do, talked about right now is something that's very important in all of this <laughs> so right what do you think is real what is true what can you be very absolutely sure of to be true yeah it's up to you to decide how philosophical you want to get on those questions <laughs> but maybe you can right. stop it by telling us what is epistemology in one sentence yeah epistemology is the science of or the, or the philosophy the science of what is true what is knowable what how can we even decide what is true mm -hmm. 
and yeah from from where i start is which you've probably heard about is the um cogito ergo sum of um rene descartes mm -hmm. like uh, i think therefore i am that's something that we can absolutely be sure of in some way we do exist mm -hmm. and everything else from my opinion from my um thinking about this is unsure is is kind of vague and we we can't prove it with any certainty but we have to believe in things to inter uh, to act in this world and like be practical yeah that makes a lot of sense to me yeah some people believe that we are totally passive that we are, are just um, a part of the universe that is being acted upon and uh, you know this uh, deterministic um, view that um, if you know where all the particles in the universe are and at what speed they're going in which direction then you can calculate everything that will ever happen and you can also calculate backwards all the things that have ever happened uh, everything is predetermined all you need to know is the the laws of the universe and then that's all you need but uh, I think that's very uh, that's a very foreign notion to most people, also to me. I can understand why scientists were interested and or probably even excited about this view, but uh, it's outdated. It's uh, you could call it Newtonian after Isaac Newton, and I'm glad that I no longer live in those times. I don't know, 17th century or so, where this was the the paradigm. Uh, and people still think that way, but fortunately, people also believe in something more, like free will has to be possible somehow because it feels real to a lot of people. But yeah, anyway, I, I was going to mention quantum physics gives us some hope that there's more than just Newtonian physics. <laughs> right. I, th I think we have talked about this before. Yeah. And I am one of those people that um, think everything is deterministic, mm -hmm. but from a human viewpoint, it doesn't even matter because everything is so complex and we can't know anything, everything that we have to assume or we have to act like there is free will. The same with yeah. um, like, I can't prove that you even like the, the, I think therefore I am. I don't know. I don't know if you think. I don't. I don't know if you are, but I have to assume so. If so, we can cooperate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I can live with that. I I think it's it's fair to say that um, we don't understand enough to be certain that free will exists, because yeah, systems are very complex. If free will existed, we. We don't even know how it works. Um, but let's start with the base then, cogito ergo sum. You say thinking uh, implies existence. So what is thinking? <laughs> I, I feel like I am an intelligent being and I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm more intelligent than someone else, it just means I have any measure of intelligence. What is intelligence? What is thinking? Right, so I, I'd even go further. If you have conscious experience, if you have experience, you in some way, shape or form, you have to exist. Okay. Even if like he thought about the idea of some evil, evil demon, I think, that uh, creates this universe as an illusion. I think that's what's... I think that was this thing, but I mean, even then, or if you're a brain in a rat or whatever, mm -hmm. you have to exist in some way. I don't think it matters if you're intelligent or not, as long as you have some kind of experience. Ah, okay. Okay, that, that's a uh, differentiate then. Can you give me an example of a being that is not intelligent, but has a conscious existence? Maybe a single cell organism? Is that what you're thinking? I can't even tell if all of this is real, if we really, if we, if we really get down to it. I think the only thing that I can know is real is myself. Okay. And for everything else, I'm just assuming. 
Yeah. Now, let's okay. Let's say everything is based on beliefs. That goes beyond the right. self knowledge. <laughs> um, beliefs are worth something too, right? Even though it's not absolute knowledge, it's uh, it's we need it, like I said, to to get through everyday life. Right. Um, it's still important to distinguish uh, true beliefs from false beliefs. Is there such right. a thing? Like, what is yes. truth then if it's not knowledge? <laughs> to me, it's like uh, physical laws or something. Mm -hmm. You see the universe and it seems to behave in a certain way every single time you try to look at this similar situation. We're like um, pattern recognition machines and we mm -hmm. look for patterns and like gravity, it, it happens in, in every mass and every body of mm -hmm. something. <laughs> and yeah, that's what truth is to me. Like you can have more abstract things, but they have to be like, when we get to science, they have to be falsifiable. You can believe, you can make up an incredible number of things that could be true and that would be in itself consistent and doesn't contradict itself but is completely imaginable and they can't all be true. So you have to try to falsify stuff. And even then you don't know if you can't falsify it, it's still just a truth candidate and will always be except for the cogito thing. Is a string theory like that? <clears throat> is string theory falsifiable? I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not but, sure, but I but, don't think so. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, I heard that there is a that there are infinitely many versions of string theory, and that it's an elegant theory. It's uh, internally coherent, but <laughs> not linked to other things that have been shown already. So it's uh, not no more than a theory, and and that's why some people like to call it a religion. You know, if it's <laughs> only based on beliefs, um, there's nothing linking it to um, empiricism. You know, empiric knowledge. Right. I, th I think the theory of relati relativity is in a similar position. There is some stuff about satellites and stuff that I've mm. heard of, but I've also heard cri criticism of this. Mm. Okay. I didn't know about the criticism. I thought uh, relativity theory is pretty <clears throat> well accepted and established because of the behavior of, I don't know, galaxies. GPS and stuff too. Yeah, What's right. But, but galaxies, you could have an, a theoretical um, system that explains how they move, mm -hmm. but it could still be wrong. Like it, it, a flat earth explains a lot of stuff, but it's still not true. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. The, the explainability of a theory <clears throat> does not make it mm, true. True. Yeah. Uh, what it, let's, let's see if this is a good um, comparison the geocentric versus the heliocentric uh, view of the solar system. I don't remember who their representatives are, but the, uh, several hundred years ago, people thought the, the Earth is in the center of the solar system or maybe even the whole universe and that everything rotates around the Earth. And then someone said, I think Copernicus said that, no, the Earth is in the center of the solar system and everything rotates around the sun. Well, you can create the heliocentric view from the, the geocentric view by saying, uh, what are they called, epicycles? By, by saying everything rotates around something that rotates around the Earth. Um, you can you can say like the that Venus maybe doesn't maybe is not on a cycle around the the Earth, but is on a cycle that cycles around the Earth. Kind of yeah. like the Moon cycles around the Sun, I guess. I am not sure on that, but anyway, you can have different perspectives on the same thing, and they're both plausible. But then, what makes the heliocentric view more um, uh, popular or um, elegant is its simplicity. 
right? That's why Occam's razor comes into play often. Like you have um, a theory that's just as powerful, but simpler. Yeah. And if it's simpler, it would be easier to falsify. So it gives it more credibility. And I, I watched uh, interviews with scientists that say the only meaningful thing in the universe is, is reducing the laws um, of, you know, describing our um, observations of the universe more and more to smaller versions. Uh, and that beauty is using, you know, the least amount of symbols to express our environment as possible. And it makes me sad that someone could only find meaning or beauty in those things <laughs> in life. <laughs> but at least there is something to it. I, I do grant that. Another example of what we're talking about is um, before we had the paradigm shift of science of the whole concept of the scientific method, we had mm -hmm. still, we still had stuff like alchemy and stuff mm. that tried to explain some things with like energy, similar concepts and they were explanatory, but they just didn't go the same length as science. So and they are, the, the, the outdated theories are uh, subsumed by the modern theories, you could say. Yeah, we could say that. And it's not uh, sure that science is the be all end all. It could be um, submerged into the next paradigm shift. Yeah, I am open to the scientific method not being the final tool to help us understand who we are and how the universe works. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is, uh, well, several, but one reason is that I also love to learn from what, what is alternative in the Western world. Um, the, I don't know what to call them, but like the law of attraction is an example that uh, many people in the West think is a hoax um, or is more religion than anything else. Um, Can you repeat the term? The law of attraction is, mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm only starting to learn about this, so I'm not sure what the whole paradigm is called. Uh, some people would say it's uh, parapsychological. It means basically that what you desire or what you believe to be true um, has an impact on what will become true or what will become real in, in your um, environment. So you attract the future state of the world. And lots of people claim that this was um, important for them to become rich and, or successful in, in some other way. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a part of, of several laws, like the law of frequency, for example. Uh, people like to say um, there are different frequencies for different states of being um, in a person, for example, or, or you can expand this to a society. If you are um, jealous, angry, bitter, uh, egocentric, then you are living at a low frequency. But if you have unconditional love for other people, if you have peace in your life, if you can listen to a, a, an opposing opinion without taking offense or attacking that person, then you're living at a higher frequency. Um, and the, these are things that you can work on uh, intentionally. So you can use your consciousness to build, create a future for yourself rather than just being the object of the deterministic universe. And so I'm trying it out right now. Uh, it's uh, not scientific, um, uh, unless, of course, you, I don't know, do you accept sociology as a science? Because <laughs> I think that's a contentious question. Uh, you know, using surveys and anecdotes and first person experiences rather than uh, non-passionate, um, objective, reproducible methods. Is that scientific or is it real or is it valuable? I think so, but you know, it depends on how exact, how abstract, how open you want to be about this question.
I've heard a lot of criticism about these types of um, parts of the of science or of learning, but I've also heard that they've become way more scientific over time. Good. Like um, they, uh, what's the word? I can't remember right now, but they're trying to make it testable. Like instead of um, finding out if you're angry, they measure your uh, blood levels and temperature and stuff. Skin tension, uh, right. electrical signals. Yeah, Dean Radin is really good at making things that used to be parapsychological, psychological. Or he, you know, he, he is, um, he takes the criticism seriously. He, he is kind of an apologist, you could say. He, he doesn't just, uh, uh, I don't know, use superficial arguments against the critics. He says, okay, I, I will take all of your criticism and um, improve my methods, you know, make them more uh, sensitive, more scientific, like you said. So I think that's a positive um, development. It certainly improves the uh, acceptability and popularity of these alternative views. And about your, what did you call it, attentional um, attraction or attention attraction? The law of attraction or law intentionality? Um, I'm open to these things too, but and, and I think there's something to it and, and you can even explain it scientifically. Like there is something called the inattentional blindness. I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm -hmm. um, there's this experiment where like a group of people play ball, throw them uh, to each other and you watch them and you, you're supposed to like follow the ball and count how many passes they do. And in the middle of the video, some guy dressed in a gorilla suit like walks right into the middle of the group and walks away and barely anyone notices the gorilla because they're so focused on the ball. And what you say, if you, if you really concentrate on something, on being like a successful person, for example, then you kind of make it happen. Like you, you have to bring into attention that you want success so you can catch opportunities when they arise yeah yeah that's that's very similar to what the law of attraction is saying yeah right. I, I love it when um the same thing can um be explained from different perspectives because if something is real or true then it should right then then different approaches should come to the same conclusion so uh, yeah, I, I love it when, when people can be open to uh, other approaches and not just say, unless you explain it in my paradigm, it's not real. Right, and with the unfalsifiability again, there are many things that could be true that just aren't falsifiable. And like when we later get to drugs, for example, there are often revelations that are similar to religious revelations that hmm. just can't be falsified and you mean visions we'll get to this later i think okay. but it's it's just a kind of a religious experience and you just have to accept accept that they could be true and you can't falsify them so you in my per, uh, personal view i'm very materialistic deterministic but i've also like have both theories in my mind and accept mm. them both in some way. <laughs> I think I think it's actually healthy. Um, I was saying to Steve in an earlier episode, uh, some people would hate to be in that state uh, because of, I don't know, confusion and uh, cognitive dissonance. But I think it's actually healthy to, to always stay open at least a little bit to alternative um, explanations and theories. Yeah, like like even re religious uh, perspectives. Great. Right, and what's really important to me with this whole topic with epistemology is to understand how limited our knowledge is and how falsy. So like, for example, with the falsifiability, we could, for example, imagine 
even if there's this very materialistic universe, that the whole universe popped into existence right now. And you are just this brain with your memories in, in your brain, but the memories don't represent anything. The, everything before now didn't exist. It just popped into existence. And this moment is the only thing that exists. There's no future, there's no past. You could never tell. We would all always be in this moment <laughs> and just um, nothing exists, nothing matters what we think and we can't falsify this. It could be true. It's very unlikely to be true in my opinion, but there's so many theories like that or like the religious idea is kind of similar. You just imagine an all um, mighty being that makes everything happen and you can't falsify it. And mm. of course this could be true. And I leave room for these ideas, but what we, I, I think we shouldn't say be really sure about this. We should always like be cautious. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, yeah, I like that you're even not so stuck on the scientific method like, like some scientists. Um, <clears throat> because like we said, it's, it is a great method and it has brought a lot of progress, um, but we shouldn't go all in, you know, bank everything on it. Um, because I, I, for example, have had experiences where, uh, that, and that's why I'm curious about what you meant by revelations, but I can wait for a little time. <laughs> I, I've had experiences where um, I just knew that something was true and I couldn't reduce it to some uh, scientific, you know, biological phenomenon. It was a different kind of um, experience than through the regular five senses. Right. So I'm open for other methods of observation and inspiration. Right. And who says that all that can can be sensed is um, catched by our senses. I mean, there could be more senses, there could be less. Animals have senses we don't have and the mm -hmm. other way around. Yeah, that's a good point. We, uh, what is it? Snakes can see ultraviolet light. And so right. it must be weird for them to think, can't you see it? It's right there. <laughs> you, must, you must be so blind. <laughs> right. Or echolocation from bats is really crazy to me. Yeah, of, of the whole spectrum of electromagnetic waves, there's just this tiny part that is uh, detectable by our eyes. And then, sure, we have tools to help us detect other uh, frequencies. Um, but it's still just a, a tiny part of what could exist. There could be things going on around us all the time that we cannot perceive, which uh, we might call uh, parallel dimensions or uh, right. hidden things like ghosts. Uh, yeah, we, we can't really exclude that. And they could be just as complex as we are, as our mm. world is. So I think it takes some humility to say that <laughs> the more I know, the more I know how little I know. <laughs> That's right. how I like to put it sometimes. <laughs> And that's why learning is never boring. I, I, I love learning and I never want to stop learning. And there doesn't seem to be an end to it either, at least not possible right now. Um, but what does that mean emotionally? If, um, you know, we're, we're pretty sure that there's so much more going on than what we can see and what we can know uh, than what we can be sure about does that give you a sense of helplessness, uh, isolation, weakness, uh, depression? What does that do for you? Not at all, to be honest. Like I've went through all of these when I've realized that I can't really know anything, like the cogito thing. And right now I'm just practical. I'm trying to hmm. find my way in this world. That sounds, um, yeah, it's, it sounds positive. It's, it's, I thought you said cookie dough there, but you <laughs> cookie, cookie dough. dough is always great. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I can see. Uh, so the, the reason I, I named these negative um, emotions is because I've been there too, and I can totally understand how a lot of people would um, respond to these thoughts <laughs> and these paradigms in that way. But yeah, I'm, I'm also encouraged by people who say it, it's freeing for them to think that there is no free will, you know, that they have no control over themselves or their environment. Um, is that the case for you as well? What exactly? Can you repeat? That it's liberating to think that you have no free will. Maybe because it takes away guilt and responsibility, negative things like that. Mm, no, I, I value virtue very highly. So I, I, I try to even burden myself with more responsibility than I probably even have. How does that go together with determinism? So doesn't it require free will to be accountable for your actions? Like I said, the concept of free will doesn't really make much sense in a practical world, I think, like okay. in everyday life. And if we want to talk about me specifically, I'm very huge on evolution and I consider myself basically the phenotype of DNA that tries to be the best replicating <laughs> and virtues even like responsibilities and virtues are parts of this that improve replication and that's so, basically all it is to me so you think improvement is a good thing you know like, like evolution you know um, improvement is probably the uh, bad word in the sense like you are just <laughs> it's very subjective what, what is better um, yeah but yeah go ahead maybe you can g give us some um, measure for uh, what changes with evolution not just biologically but you know like uh, with virtue you, you said um, you're interested in, in increasing virtue and taking responsibility so how does evolution help with that You mean what the concept changes in my view of myself or what evolution causes, how evolution causes these things? Hmm. I meant the second, uh, I meant the first, but the second sounds really interesting too, because it's more personal. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, just, just give me more context on how you see right. evolution playing a role in uh, improvement and virtue, responsibility. Right, so DNA just is an imperfect replicator, basically. It replicates itself and has mutations, faults, yeah. and it changes. And then there's, of course, natural selection, and this drives the evolution, the, the gene changes in some direction. And what also how happens... Does, before you keep going, what, how does um, natural selection work? What does it select for? It selects for fitness, basically. Like you have these multiple living organisms in a space and they have to fit into this in some way as, um, that they can replicate the most they can. So things like survivability, health, uh, dominance over your environment. Right, but not just this, like you also have to be in harmony in harmony with your environment. If you eat all your prey at once, then you die out. Yeah, okay. So, so the, the dominance thing is more of a short-term perspective, uh, but, but living in harmony with an environment that, that can um, re-replicate, you know, that, that can... Um, so this is totally what humans are not doing <laughs> because we just take, take, take and never allow the planet to um, regenerate. That's the word. Okay, so sorry, uh, you, you were saying about um, evolution. Yeah, so we, we do this and through this random mutation, there also, um, this also creates a phenotype, like just some outside products besides the DNA itself that replicates. And that's what our whole bodies is. The whole biological ecosystem of our body is just like a byproduct of this replica replication. Mm -hmm. And 
this can only um, become part of DNA, become part of the evolutionary line if it helps the DNA replicate in some way. Like if this me thing, the whole body, the, the human doesn't help the DNA replicate, then the other DNA that doesn't do this whole stuff um, survives and the other doesn't. And why this leads to virt virtues and stuff is, in my opinion, like if you have virt virtues, if you have moral intuitions and stuff, these things help your organism replicate. Like it's not just your single DNA, but also your whole tribe, for example. If they all have a very high likelihood to cooperate, then they survive more likely than the next one. Yeah, so you're also thinking of uh, many generations, not just right. what is best now. So interesting, yeah, this gets into the, the topic you uh, suggested, uh, morality, because it sounds like you're saying morality is derived from the, um, the, the measure for what is a, a good evolution. It's something that helps, like the emotions, for example, are very similar similar to morality in my thing, uh, in my opinion. They they can contribute. They make us behave in a way that helps us reproduce more and more effectively. I don't think there is like in the scientific view. Like I said, I always have multiple views in my mind, and I accept them in some way. But in the strictly scientific view, I don't think morality is like some outside things and God given thing like a property of the universe. I don't think that. I think it's just part of our phenotype that makes us behave in a certain way that is beneficial. Does that also mean that people who believe um, morals come from religious beliefs um, are missing some information or, you know, that they have a, a short-sighted view? Like there's some morals that we um, react with a disgust uh, response if they don't, like if you see someone murder a dog for no reason, you're disgusted by this. You have a mm -hmm. strong biological reaction. Mm -hmm. And there's also morals that do derive from religious literature that doesn't mean that they come from God, for example. Like, mm -hmm. um, social ideas or like culture is also um, subject to evolution. It's like the next layer. It's if you've mm -hmm. ever done something with optimization algorithms, they're the explore, explorative phase. They try to uh, adapt quickly and find something in the near vicinity. You mean no, in no, no, the exploitation. Right, for example, mm -hmm. they are the exploitation, like they, they, they search for the local maximum or optimum mm -hmm. and the genes could be seen as the explorative part that, that's like very, very slow and it's hard to change genes. They're very sturdy and like lazy, if you want to call them that. And the culture is like to explore um, stuff around them, like it's very quick to change culture in mm -hmm. comparison to genes. Mm -hmm. And at some point, if something established in culture that is very efficient, very good, it becomes like, for example, if you have a culture of caring for your child very well, at some point it could become genetic even mm -hmm. if you, if for enough generations, um, you always have this culture and the ones that adhere to this um, survive, of course, then the ones that naturally from their genetics are pushed in this direction um, have even more survivability. So okay. at some point, this culture becomes genetics. Hmm. Wow. Um, I don't know as much about biology as about uh, physics. And so um, this, the, evolution and natural selection, what you've been uh, explaining is, is a law. Um, and another law I'm thinking of that 
seems to, um, you know, dictate how the universe uh, develops is uh, entropy. Um, in a in a system, in a physical system, over time, uh, the the information in that system will its its entropy will rise over time. Um, and I kind of have an understanding of of what that means, but uh, I wonder how applicable it is to everyday life. Um, so do you think life on Earth is an exception to that rule? Because we are intelligent beings who can organize a physical system and, you know, change the information inside of it and therefore reduce its entropy. And then my second question will be, how does this work together with uh, biological laws like evolution? Right, so I think part of these things that we're talking about, like the virtues and stuff, they are working against entropy. Like mm -hmm. civilizations always have the tendency to fall. They have to everything like um, deconstruct itself. And what our ancestors did is like they sacrificed all they could. They, they didn't just um, eat and sleep. They worked hard and sacrificed stuff for their children and they sacrificed their work and their life for their children and so on. And so we built up like some, some, some resources, like some, yeah, like um, what's the opposite of entropy? Order. Order maybe. Like we build order and if we stop with these weird virtues, if we stop sacrificing in our lives, then entropy takes over and we lose everything. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense to me. I, my uh, feeling was also that, that um, evolution or, you know, any kind of um, improvement over the state uh, of our lives and, and our world is against entropy. And right. uh, yeah, if we become lazy, if we become passive and just let things go the way they've always gone, then yeah, order decreases and we um, we fall in that hierarchy of frequencies that I mentioned earlier. I'm going to put a link in the description. It's, it's, um, it's a hierarchy that David Hawkins formulated. Um, not like the Maslow hierarchy, but <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that. Um, you know, it says you, you, can, you can work yourself up and it takes effort uh, creativity, sacrifice, like you say, um, you know, sacrificing something that had value for something that, that will have even more value. And then if you just let it go, then you will regress. So there, there is no neutral ground. You, you cannot stay at the level you were as an individual or as a society. Uh, you either work on it and improve or you let things go. Uh, and of course, you can always work on destruction as well. <laughs> if you want to accelerate the destruction, um, you, you can work on that too. This also informs my political views very strongly. Like, I think that's a topic for another day. But mm -hmm. overall, I think that's the reason why we constantly drift left every year, every hundred years. The left we, of a certain country or all of the world? Hard to tell, but at least in the Western world. Because my feeling is that uh, America has drifted right more and more over the last... Very years. recently. They yeah, did, I'm talking 50 years. It. How long are you talking? Like every 50 years, what the right said, um, what the left said 50 years ago is what the right says today mm -hmm. in all of the Western world. And what does the left propose? They propose freedom. They propose like um, destruction of cultural norms that they might, they see an, as unnecessary. Mm -hmm. They've tried to get rid of hierarchy, which is order in some way. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah that definitely material for another episode. <laughs> right. Good. Good, so um, what practical insights can you share for understanding one's personal identity better? 
Well, that could be a segue for drugs if we if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we could start on the topic, sure. All right, so there's many different mind-altering drugs, like mm -hmm. pretty much every thing that we consider drugs, like alcohol, tobacco, mm -hmm. all of these things. And they can be like ordered in some um, major categories. And one of the categories is psychedelics, or if you want to be broader, um, hallucinogenics or hallucinogens. Mm -hmm. And one of the, these is psychedelics, which is what you've probably heard of, like LSD, um, magic mushrooms, and these drugs. Mm -hmm. And first of all, they they do cause hallucinations, but it's not not like this Hollywood idea of you see elephants that talk to you or something. They are just they they change the way you your senses work, your perception. Mm -hmm. And when explaining these, it's really hard because you it's something that you can't really understand if you haven't tried it. Mm. Have you tried it first of all? No, no. Okay. Um, you can explain the sensual, sensual thing, like these hallucinations. It's it's like a, a lens on all your faulty senses, I think, in some way. Oh, For so example... Heightens your senses or sharpens your perception? It magnifies everything about your senses. Like, you see colors brighter, your... Mm. You also have the problem, like when you don't, when you're not in drugs, you have the thing of you see what you see in the middle of your vision very clearly, but your periphery is like extrapolated, and your brain kind of fills it with what it expects. Mm -hmm. And also with sounds, you've probably heard these where you hear the same sound repeatedly, but depending on what you expect, you hear a different thing, like a different audio. Mm -hmm. Do you know these? Um, and that's what it sounds plausible to me. Yeah. I can send you something later on. Mm -hmm. And um, what psychedelics do is they kind of magnify this, like you, everything flows in itself, which is something I, our vision does all the time. I think like your vision is like, it's something your brain makes out of the sense data. It's not the true representation. Of course, map is not a territory thing. And um, how it flows, what you see, what happens is very influ influenced by your expectation, expectations and your, your thoughts, what you think. Mm -hmm. Also with music, like if you listen to music, um, you hear different lyrics sometimes, like you really get a sense of, wait, my senses aren't really what is real. You it's just senses and our brain interprets it. Okay. So do, do drugs help you have a clearer vision of what is real? It shows you that the real that you usually consider isn't the one and only real. It's there's alternatives. Like we said earlier, there could be different senses and there could also be different interpretation of your senses. It could be like we have serotonin in our brain and psychedelics are from their structure very similar to serotonin and they dock mm -hmm. on the same receptors. Mm -hmm. And it could be just as well that our body produces LSD, for example, and docks onto these receptors. And we could always be running around high, for example. That's possible, right? The body can produce LSD, right? I'm not sure. Okay, I, I thought I, I heard something like that before. Or maybe just something similar. The but body does produce DMT. If you've heard of Joe Rogan, he talks about this all the time. <laughs> and DMT is also a psychedelic, which okay. is produced in the brain and pretty much all in life, I think. When, when I asked you uh, what practical um, recommendations you have, to, uh, or right. what, are, what are the consequences for everyday life uh, once you have you know, these new insights about reality and, and uncertainty. I, I didn't expect uh, <laughs> drugs to be the answer, but um, are they helpful because they, I didn't, like, like what do they improve? What, what do they make um, 
less negative or more positive. Right, I, I try to explain what it's like, and this is one aspect, just as I said, it's the, what you see, what you um, what your visuals are and stuff. And there's also a mind altering um, aspect, like it, from a scientific explanation, it um, connects your brain more than usual. Your brain is more likely to go um, pathways, like neuronal pathways that it otherwise wouldn't go. Mm -hmm. So you're more open-minded, I would say. Mm -hmm. You explore or question um, established beliefs. And one thing I had often, for example, is it's very strange how two people meet and give their hands to greet each other. It's like very alien in that moment. Interesting. <laughs> it, it will certainly be uh, after COVID is gone. After the <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, right. so, so that's really interesting. Um, it sounds like the so these things that you're saying to increase your perception, to change your paradigm, are possible by conscious effort, but mind-altering drugs can accelerate or intensify that process. Is that right? Like I said, it's it's impossible to explain it if you haven't experienced it. I mm -hmm. think it's like you're always in this regular state of mind and psychedelics are a complete separate thing. And just having a reference point um, changes your view in everyday life too. That's one aspect. And the other is, like I said, it does something to your brain, to the way you think. You're still yourself. You're not like some random different person. You're still yourself. But you're kind of forced to question and you're forced to rethink your priorities very strongly. That sounds like a good thing, um, except for the force part. <laughs> you know, I never want to be forcibly drugged. <laughs> uh, right. Or in hypnosis without consent. But it certainly sounds like a positive thing to reevaluate, to question, because, yeah, I, I don't want to be stuck in a in a certain state, in a certain paradigm that is uh, keeping me from making progress. Force might not be the correct word. Like there's different psychedelic drugs with magic mushrooms, for example. People often say you're in the uh, back of the car and the drug drives the car. Mm -hmm. And with, with LSD, it's more like you're driving the car. Like if you don't want to think about these things, you don't. You can mm -hmm. have a relaxing evening. I also heard that uh, mushrooms can make you paranoid. Um, right. And is that because you're overwhelmed with this new information? It's really, really scary. Even if you've done it many times, it's very scary just because it's so different and you're basically letting go of everything you hold dear and true. Like you're even your perception of yourself, like you, you have a very strong idea of who you are and who you're supposed to be. And you're really dissolving this in some way and it's hard to let go. And what I talked earlier about uh, um, with the revelations, if you take a high enough dose, it's, first of all, you have these visuals with open eyes, but you also see visuals with closed eyes. Mm -hmm. And if you are on a high enough dose, it doesn't matter if you're open eyed or closed eyed, they kind of flow in each, uh, in each other. And then you kind of have what they say is um, an ego loss. You, you are no longer this ego yourself. You're kind of just perception. And you have this epiphany of oneness with everything, mm -hmm. which is something I experienced before I've read about others experiencing this and which like the Eastern religions and traditions have talked about many, many times. And it's very similar to what religious people experience when they like pray very intently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it, it's also, something I read about um, in the, I wish I knew the name of the book right now, uh, but David Hawkins, the 
the philosopher I, I mentioned about the um, the hierarchy of, of degrees of consciousness, he um, obviously, well, not obviously, he didn't just write um, his book about them uh, from an academic point of view. He has experienced all of them. You know, he made it to a very high level, uh, not as far as Jesus or Buddha. <clears throat> he says they're on the top, but far enough to have experienced this um, release of individuality and ego. Um, he, I don't remember all the things he mentioned, like it, common consciousness is sometimes what it's called, or, but he even mentioned that he was a bit more of an observer, like you said, more passive. And, and to me, that sounds so foreign. I mean, it sounds great, the, it, but it's just very different. So I um, have trouble imagining uh, being one with everyone else. Um, it's not just everyone else. It's even the whole of the universe. Like mm -hmm. you have this realization that you are the only thing that exists and you're also all people, you're all things, you're all animals, everything. And we constantly create this reality for ourselves at every moment in time. And that's also like um, people often talk about psychedelics for post-traumatic stress disorder um, cure, like for therapy, mm -hmm. because people get the sense, a deep, very deep sense, like not just you notice, but you also like realize it deeply that after you're alive, after your death, you come back to this everything and you're still around and everyone else is also around, like the very religious um, idea of heaven, for example. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's true. Like uh, it could be something your brain does, which we can talk about later. There's a lot of interesting, very interesting things. But I'm also curious what, um, what your revelation was that you referenced earlier. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think uh, we're out of time and, and can't go into <clears throat> any more of that. But I'll definitely make a note of that. Um, <laughs> you, you just named so many ideas that we could go back uh, uh, and dive deeper. So I, I hope you'll come back <laughs> again. Um, today we, we kind of asked more questions and, and started more topics than, <laughs> than um, really found answers or I don't know what to call it. We we just discussed a lot of a lot of different things, uh, just scratching the surface everywhere. But I'm glad to see uh, that we take interest in similar things and and enjoy discussing them, because just knowing about them is the first step. Um, like the the whole uh, drugs thing is foreign to me, but I definitely want to learn more about it. Um, I want to hear different perspectives on what is identity so that I am not missing out on anything that could be really valuable and important because I have evolved to a certain point where I can at least tell that people are at different stages. Um, and I'm not saying it's, it's, a, it's a linear progression, but people are in different um, places in their life uh, when it comes to their um, perspective of who they are or their beliefs about the world. And sometimes it does seem that some people have made more pro progress than others and have matured more than others. And it will take them more time to reach a level that someone else has achieved. So sometimes it's just different and sometimes it is on a progression like with David Hawkins. Um, fake news is one example. So we should definitely get back into, into politics and economics one day <laughs> and, and explain how it is that we think we know something more than someone else. You know, how, how is it that you can feel certain that you understand something better than someone else? Because the the reaction I often get from people that I try to tell about the, the um, corruption of the media, for example, is, well, how do you know that your source is true? How do you know that your source is any better than, than the standard one, the mainstream one? So 
that is another uh, aspect of uh, truth, reality, knowledge, and and progression that I definitely want to get into, and maybe talk about um, the coronavirus as an example, as a current example of uh, what is fake news, what what can we know, how certain can we be about things. Anyway, um, any last words you want to give us before we finish? Yeah, so real quick, I just, I, even if I talk highly positively of drugs and um, had only positive experiences, I don't recommend anyone to do this without like really thinking about it and preferably having someone around that knows what he's doing. Having a mentor, maybe being familiar with some literature on it. I think you should go up, go into it with an open mind. You shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't like th think too much about it beforehand, mm -hmm. but you should be in a safe place in a good moment in your life. You shouldn't like be depressed. You shouldn't be in a party with people around you that mm -hmm. are hostile. Like you should be safe. You shouldn't try to escape your current reality, right? That also. Should... Great. Well, thanks for all the insights. And let's do this again sometime. Of course. See you.